Talk Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Obsessed episode 303 is recorded live October 20th, 2016. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where the leaves are falling and it is definitely getting to be that time of the year where you need to start upgrading your undergarments. Joining me this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? Darren, I am excellent. And how about yourself? I am doing great. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Scuba Tech is in there. Uh, we also trying out a little bit of uh, chat software tonight, just looking for some other options besides TalkShoe. Upgrading those as the week goes on, or the weeks go on. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. The first article we have up is actually a little bit tragic. We have a couple divers who have died in a cave diving accident. Two divers were found dead after exploring an underwater cave system. Patrick Peacock and Chris Rittenmeyer traveling from Fort Lauderdale to Weechee, Florida, with a friend to conduct a three-day dive at Eagle's Nest. Uh, Eagle's Nest, also known as the Lost Sink, containing a mile of passages, one which is more than 300 feet deep. Deputies from the Hernando County Sheriff's Office were called in the dive area Sunday evening after the man's friend, identified as Justin Blakely, said he could not locate him. Blakely told authorities that all three divers entered the water at 2 p.m. on Sunday. Blakely, the most inexperienced diver, was to remain close to surface, while Peacock and Rittenmeyer explored the cave's Eagle Nest, which they had done several times before. The plan was for the two check-in with Blakely at a predetermined location at around 3 p.m. Authorities said when he failed to surface, Blakely notified law enforcement. Rescue divers entered the water Sunday night, searching for the two men, but one un- unable to locate them. The following morning, another group of divers found Peacock and Rittenmeyer in close proximity to one of the 260 feet of water, according to press release of the Hernando County Sheriff's Office. Authorities said the man died in a very dangerous and complex area of the cave system. Eagle's Nest is often referred to as the Mount Everest or Grand Canyon of dives. Sign at the mouth of the cave warns anyone attempting to explore the caves, stop, prevent your death, go no further. And it shows a black and white sketch of the Grim Reaper. And this is a common sign that if you ever have a chance to go dive caverns or caves systems down in Florida, will have those at the areas where if you are not cave certified, you should not be going by. Uh, if you remember listening to the show in 2013, the same thing happened with uh, a man and his 15-year-old son where they drowned in the cave system. At that point in time, people were trying to uh, close down the cave, and this has brought up conversations again saying that the cave system should be shut down and not available to divers. Yeah, but as I recall the uh, episode in 2013, I mean, the, the guy's son wasn't certified. Um, I know the guy who had passed away had had a number of close calls of, I had a friend who was on the, the uh, search and recovery team who told him, yep, I'm going to be looking for you someday. And apparently he did. So, I mean, I'm not trying to belittle this at all. I mean, it's deaths, deaths are always tragic. It sounds like now we have eight people who have passed away in this, uh, in this set of caves here. Uh, but in retrospect, I mean, um, you know, we have a number of shipwrecks here in the Great Lakes that uh, have had that number of fatalities or more. Um, I don't know what they have going on in saltwater, but, uh, you know, divers do die on shipwrecks. Of course, you know, as, as Mac has pointed out, I mean, drivers die in cars and skydivers die less, less than anyone does, apparently, according to Mac. Um, you know, eight deaths is, ter- is, a, is a terrible thing. Don't get me wrong. Eight deaths since 1981. Um, are they going to close it down? Should they close it down? Um doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. So, Yeah, I, I don't think that they need to be shutting this down. Uh, people, that's a, it's part of the risk you take when you dive, is knowledge that there's going to be inherent risk. And they've got plenty of warning signs, in my opinion. So you're not really saving anybody by closing this down. That's other spots where people who are maybe not properly trained could have a problem. And we don't know 
what happened here, but uh, there was some sort of tragedy, and it's unfortunate. Uh, there's some arguments that the the risk is when these divers die is that people go down to save them, but usually by the time somebody gets a call that they somebody's in need of saving, uh, they're going to be drowned long before you get there. There's no sense in, in doing any heroics to try and yeah, do any sort of recoveries. They, that's why they refer to them as a, a recovery team, not not a rescue team. You know, um, by the time the, uh, the, the the dive team gets there, um, there's really not a chance of rescuing someone, and that's they're, they're fully aware of that. I mean, um, you know, going through and, and and they're very safe. I mean, they, you know, they have to go through all these you know equipment checks, and um, you know, the search recovery teams are extremely safety oriented. And so they're not going to be in a big hurry. You know, they, they, they want to do the right thing, and they're going to do the right thing. But um, by the time they get there, it is a recovery. So. Well, next up we have a boater wants a shipwreck because he hit it with his boat. This one's out of Chicago. A boater wants the 1914 shipwreck, uh, the Silver Spray, a steamer that sank, removed because his boat hit it. He has a 23-and-a-half-foot boat. He says if... If it was underwater and nobody knew about it, I'd get it. But it's underwater since 1914. What's it still doing there? Why does it not have buoys around it? That just doesn't make any sense to me, uh, the the boat owner said. The top of the Silver Spray is usually visible off the 49th Street, but when it's not, it seemed to be when he was out in the boat. There's a boiler system that protrudes from the water. Well, I don't know if I've ever had a lot of rain or what the deal was, but you could not see it. It was underwater. He didn't know the wreck was there. He'd been coming to the lake for most of 41 years. If they're not going to extract it, put buoys around it. It's been 100 years, and I can't believe somebody hasn't. You know, I, as, I, as I've read this several times, this sounds more like uh, you got to somebody just after he realized he caused several thousand dollars damage to his boat. Mm-hmm. So I don't know well, if this I mean, is really a well-thought comment he said or just if you put a microphone in somebody's face when they hit something, you know, you're half embarrassed because you ran into it. I mean, if he's been coming there for 41 years... Uh, he should be aware of the objects, you know, because this is uh, before the show we were talking. Isn't that a reef system? Yeah, it's, it's it's a large reef that goes, I believe, a quarter mile offshore in that area. Uh, this is a wreck that I, I snorkeled this about two years ago, and it's kind of hard not to know that you're on a reef. I mean, the, the reef is very, very visible. It's like a limestone. It's, I mean, from the water, you can see it very clearly beneath you. You know, And, you know, it's really not the responsibility of anyone to, you know, to booby these things, um, you know, you're, you're supposed to be paying attention to where you're going, looking at your charts, ha- have good charts, um, good depth finder. Um, you know, he had to he had to have known that he was in shallow water. Yeah, you have a certain responsibility that you should know when you're operating a vessel in the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you. I'm I'm quite confident this is marked on the NOAA charts and different navigational charts. Um, I know that I, my hummingbird, when I'm using that, it, it marks when there are shipwrecks in the area. Um, but even so, I mean, you, you, you have to know the water where you're at. And if you don't know it, then that's why you go at slow speed. And looking at the pictures here, I mean, the prop shaft is ripped right out of, right out of his lower unit. I mean, he hit this thing moving pretty good. I mean, um, you scale down a little bit as a picture his unit, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty sad. Yeah, he he did a number on the that lower unit there. You can see it all splayed open. Pieces mitts. Well, what about this historic shipwreck? I'm sure it didn't do the historic shipwreck an awful lot of good what he did to it there. I mean, uh, well. You're saying that maybe they should give him a ticket? Well, you know, hey, this is Illinois, and Illinois is very protective of their shipwrecks. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, I mean uh, hey, the, the shipwreck was just sitting there minding his own business, and this guy comes around and clobbers it here. I mean, who, who, who's actually at fault here? Ship, the shipwreck went and bit his boat. What are you talking about? Yeah, the shipwreck wasn't, <laughs> hasn't gone anywhere in 102 years. Okay, <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. This, this shipwreck, I know, it has made the media a number of times, not for collisions like this. Um, I know there's a group of swimmers down in Chicago that uh, like to go out and swim out of the shipwreck. Um, you know, it's... If you Google the Silver Silver Spray Chicago Shipwreck, you'll come up with quite a few articles about it over the years. Um, you know, I, I can tell you it's because I've snorkeled it. Um, there's not an awful lot there. Um, you know, from what I understand, there are some scattered pieces around, um, possibly a, a propeller a propeller shaft down there now, I'm guessing, off of this guy's boat. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, when, when I was out there, all I saw was the boiler, 
and some scattered bits of metal here and there. Some I don't know, little little bit of angle iron. Um, don't know what was n- nothing really discernible aside from the boiler though. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's a cool, easy access rack. Um, very easy access rack. You know, you can actually see it on Google Earth, as I recall. Uh, you know, it's easy to find the numbers online, the uh, GPS coordinates. But yeah, if you uh, go to Google Earth, it's right along the uh, Chicago Lakeshore Linear Park. There, um, I'm sure you can find you easily on Google Earth. So, I wonder what Chicago will say. But if history's any indication, they're not going to really do anything different than what they've already done. Well, like I say, if, if they started booing it, then they'd be required to buoy it. Um, you know. No one is re- is required to buoy all individual hazards. If they were to re- be, you know, buoy one, then they'd be re- required to buoy them all. Then they'd be mad about the, about the one they missed or the one that got knocked off in a storm. Um, you know, it's it's there. You should know about it. If you don't know the area, you don't go at planning speed. You go slow. So yep. that that's that's why the silver spray is there because it it hit the reef. You know, back in ni- 1914. And I think it caught fire, I want to say, too. Um, I know that it, it, it did burn. I'm not sure if the burning was part of hitting the reef or not. Um, I think the story was it was going out to uh, pick up a group of college students for a tour. And the guy piloting the boat made a miscalculation of where he was and ran out of ground. And, uh, and I think later on, I think it caught fire later on, well after the uh, running aground. Yeah, it's, it's been there for over 100 years. Well, this next article, we have dozens of ancient shipwrecks spotted deep beneath the blacks. And we won't read every every word in this article. The photos or the images are pretty impressive. And it's not clear if these images are scanned images or if these are artist representations of the wrecks. Uh, it says, uh, uh, these new images show finely carved rudders, mast tillers, and even ropes that are almost perfectly preserved. They were rediscovered by submersible scouring the seabed. The seabed is part of a project to piece together how and when the sea levels rose again the Black Sea following the last ice age, which peaked about 20,000 years ago. Uh, Black Sea Maritime Archaeology Project has uncovered 41 wrecks so far this year, revealing them in all their glory, a state-of-the-art imagery called 3D photogametry. Okay, so that's what they're doing, is they're taking, and, and we were talking about this again before the show, is that they're mm-hmm. taking hundreds or thousands of images and then using software to stitch them together and make 3D maps. So this was a 3D map that they did from the from the images. And then I think an, I bet an artist went and added this coloring and shading just to make it more dramatic, but beautiful. Yeah, but these are these are deep. I mean, I'm looking at one of these uh, 1,100 meters down. Well, if I you mean, get the uh, ROV down there to take the picture, <laughs> but, yeah, but that's. Well, I'm I, I can see why I can see why they're in such good shape if, if they're that. But of course, when you something falls that far, it probably uh, <laughs> hit the bottom pretty hard. Yeah, well, but, the the thing about being down that far, especially in the Black Seas, it's a very low oxygen environment. I think even lower than what we typically have in the Great Lakes. So they've decay happens variously because these, you know, our our Great Lake shipwrecks, you know, hundreds of years old. And these are a thousand. Mm-hmm. But I, they got one image there, uh, and it shows carvings. I mean, that, that let's see which one is the third photo down. I mean, just the level of detail in there. And like they said, you can. See, I, oh, yeah. I swear that's rope, rope sails. Stern of an Ottoman shipwreck. Yeah, the, uh, the archaeologist says he believes these are trading ships rather than ships sunk in battle. They're a long way off source, so they're probably overwhelmed by rough weather. But interesting. I hope to see more images of. Them. Yeah, but but there's the, marvelous detail on these ships. I mean, you, you clearly see that you know, there's a horse there and lots of a shield of some sort. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'll, I'll think, Go ahead. I don't think we're looking at actual rope. I think we're looking at a carving of rope. Oh, that would make sense because that was that's that was common in in vessels as well. Although, I mean, as well preserved as these are, I mean, wouldn't be so. I would not surprise me at all to find to find some rigging around there as well. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, some of these look like you could if you would show me a picture and then said, "Hey, this is a Great Lakes wreck." Uh, you know, at the first glance, you might even believe it. Uh, you know, once you see the details, you realize those are ships that aren't constructed the way that our Great Lakes wreck. Yeah, I doubt you're going to find a lot of iron pins in these guys here. These are all going to be tree nails. And then we have Greek Diving Club owner says he wants a dream to set up a commercial venture. They said the shipwreck Titanic 2 could become a diver's paradise theme park. 
uh, sunken First World War ship dubbed Titanic 2 could become the diver's theme park to generate revenue for cash-strapped Greece. For 100 years, a sister vessel of the infamous Titanic has lain in the wreckage 400 feet deep at the bottom of the Aegean waters. Now the owner of a local dive club who attended a special brainstorming forum, forum this month for the ship has mooted the idea of a diver's paradise. Is it a dream to create an underwater theme park connecting HMS Britannic with other wrecks in the Kia Channel, according to the Sunday Times. We have a nuke diving area right on our doorstep. The wreck was found in 1975 by French underwater explorer Jacques Cousteau and was bought from Britain in 1996 by author and maritime historian Simon Mills for 15,000 pounds. Descending towards her is an underwhelming experience. Overwhelming. I said underwhelming. Uh, a German diver told the Spiegel magazine. She's an icon, and sight of her is awe-inspiring. Local authorities organized an international conference that brought together leading researchers, divers, oceanographers, and relatives of the crew to discuss plans for the vessel. And I think this is the one that uh, uh, John Chatterton was talking about, wasn't it? He talked about uh, I'm not sure mentioned this. Oh, yes, because this is the one where uh, supposedly the uh, antiquities officer indicated that it was in an anaerobic environment. Yep. And he uh, said, well, I, drive, I dive a rebreather. So he didn't know how to use a rebreather at that point, but he figured it out pretty quickly, it sounds like. Yeah, this is the one. That's yep. the one, yeah. So looks like they're trying to do something with it. So Maybe they decided it wasn't as anaerobic as they, they thought. Well, this is one which has been very thoroughly explored, though. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, Cousteau found it, I believe, back in 77, and this has been dove many, many, many times. Uh, although, in retrospect, comparing it to the previous article about the uh, cave divers, um, I do know there have been substantially more than eight fatalities with divers on this on this particular wreck, and I don't think they have any plans on closing this one down. I no. mean, um, this is definitely a tech dive. I think the bottom sits at 310 feet. Um, I know one of the uh, Jacques Cousteau episodes where they actually find this and explore it on uh, Netflix. Um, fascinating episode. You, know, you see the these guys back in the 1977, and they're diving trimix. <laughs> <laughs> they do a 290-odd foot dive in wetsuits without buoyancy compensators. Um, I re- as I recall, they they lowered a chamber for them. You know, they actually did a you know it wasn't saturation diving, but pretty close to it. Well, let's talk about potentially cool scuba gear. A new three-person deep flight submarine is coming to tropical resorts super falcon 3s uh, submersible specialist deep flight and rainbow fish ocean technology have collaborated to form deep flight adventures a guide service with depth to facilitate the endeavor deep flight has developed the latest aquatic explorer super falcon 3s and through the official partnership announced in vehicle debut is made at the morocco yacht show on september 28th uh, has been allowed to surface beneath Teaming up with Rainbow Fish will enable us to achieve our mutual goal of unlocking the ocean for human access. You'll be able to give individuals a level of exposure to underwater realm that may not have otherwise been able to attain. Key component of the plan is a Super Falcon 3S, a larger version of the original Super Falcon introduced in 2009. It measures 25 feet in length, 10.5 feet in width, and 5.2 feet in height. Unlike the previous model, a new edition features three inline viewports interconnected via closed-circuit communication system to accommodate a pilot and two passengers. Each person benefits from their own uh, cast acrylic hemisphere canopy that lets them see the sights while descending to a maximum level of 400 feet. And I bet what they had discovered is that the old model, which I believe only was a two-person sub, is that this probably has a much better payback because you don't have one person paying for the pilot. You get to split it between two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you can double your passengers, you're going to you know, potentially double your profits, or well, at least don't, don't yep. closer breaking even anyway. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them add, an, add another one. Or you could even do... Uh, you know, it, it required different engineering, I'm sure. The nice thing about lengthening it is it probably didn't take a lot. But if you had maybe a couple domes that sat two people side by side or, or something else, but at four feet, 400 feet deep, I mean, wouldn't that be great around here? Well, yeah, I mean, you could see, you know, all, of course all the wrecks in sport depth and many of them outside of sport depth, um, you know, 400 feet. Um, it's not going to get you to the Fitzgerald, but it's going to get you, you know, to uh, 
know, the majority of the known wrecks in the, you know, in the Great Lakes. And we've got some off of St. Joe that are 200 feet plus, and those are in much better condition than the wrecks that we dive all the time. And I do mm-hmm. think if visibility worked in your favor, uh, you could probably make a case for something like this. Well, and visibility, you know, it, it is gradually working in our favor. I mean, it, it's it's only going to it's only getting better with the uh, zebra mussels. I mean, many people are not fond of what the zebras and the quag guys have done as far as covering the wrecks, but the visibility there is just no comparison to what it was 20 years ago. I mean, the difference that we have is it's kind of the chicken the egg thing. You know, would we be able to have enough people who'd be willing to pay whatever amount? They don't talk about in this article what they're going to charge for a dive. Uh, but I'm thinking that you probably have to be in the $200, $300 per person on a vessel. That- I would suspect more than that. I, I know like that they've had different outfits with uh, submersibles that have been taking people down to sea shipwrecks. And I understand it was several thousand dollars ahead in some yeah. of those. Uh, but there's but, a guy. Go ahead. There's a guy who will uh, take you down to see the, the Titanic, and the Titanic is what's the depth on that? It's over a mile. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You're you're, you're real and, deep, but then also part of your cost is getting out to the wreck. So you've got a cruise just to get there, uh-huh. and then you've got an extended time down. Where I'm picturing, you know, St. Joe, uh, you go out to a wreck that say it's 210 feet. Uh, we can get to that in about five six miles out. So. I think it's a little more than that. Um, well, how how far out is uh, Ann Arbor 5? That's 160 feet. That's, what, five miles at most? That's, yeah, I, I know number 5 is nine miles from the pierhead, but, you're, but you're, you're not going directly out. So, But it's probably a good at least six, maybe seven miles offshore, I'm thinking, for the Ann Arbor number 5. Hmm. Um, but then St. Joe, the lake gets deeper, slower the further south you get. So... To find 210, I'm sure you're talking, um, you know, 12 miles out? Yeah, as you go south, but, you know, we can also go north. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, yeah. th- there are, and you, you talk about the Atlantic, they're, they're going 20, 30, 50 miles out frequently for shipwreck dives. Right, right. Uh, and, and, and they're not, and they're not seeing wrecks as nice as we have around here. No. No, what, that's what I'm getting at is that you have a whole nother category of people. Plus, I think that, when you start talking about being able to get down to 400 feet, you even got some scuba divers. I, I would certainly do at least a dive in one of these if you're going out to some of these wrecks that I most likely am not going to be able to get to and doing a tech dive. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, to be able to see, um, you know, the, the, the Hennepin or the Ackley oh, yes. without without having to do any, any decompression, uh, you know, and really with the cost of uh, mixed gases, um, to, to do a dive on the Hennepin. Just the gases alone will run you about three hundred dollars. Yeah. So I mean, you know, plus you get, of course you know all the training and the, and the equipment. Um, if you could take it down to the Hennepin for under five hundred bucks, you know, put put me on. <laughs> I'm there. You know. So um, it's going to be a little warmer. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. Yeah, I I like I like the idea, uh, but I, I believe there's a reason why they're they've co-opted with this other person. As I think that uh, they. They did the original design, and other than a few very rich people, I think Branson bought one, uh, there wasn't many people who, who bought this. So now the way to do it is do is a commercial venture, and you almost need to prove that it will work. So they've partnered with somebody. They're going to pick a nice dive site. Uh, they've engineered this three-seater, so uh, they'll see how that goes. Then once they prove it, either they'll expand it themselves doing uh, more adventures, or they'll have created demand for other tour operators to take up, take it up. Well, you know, it is kind of a new jazzy design on this uh, for a submersible, but you know, keep in mind that you know, we've had submersibles taking people down, taking passengers down to see wrecks you know, for a while. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they weren't, they weren't as, as sexy as this one here, but uh, you know, I know that uh, up until they started finding remains on the Fitzgerald, there was a guy who was taking people down to see the Fitzgerald on a regular basis. But then, uh, actually, our our buddy Rick Mixture was involved with that one there. When um, I think I think I think he, he he was actually on on the submarine. I mean, Rick Mixture wasn't running the submarine, of course, but I think he, he was a passenger on the submarine when the remains were found just off the bow of the Fitzgerald, and that's what started the big controversy, which ended up with the Fitzgerald being close to diving. So, um, you know, you know, there have been different operators taking people down to see 
uh, shipwrecks for quite some time. Um, it's just this is a new, cool, different type of a submersible. You know, it's not your your bulky, um, you know, big big fat submarine. Uh, this is something cool and sleek, so which is good for marketing. Yeah. So. Well, if you want to go to the the website www.deepflight.com, uh, they they can show you some different models they have. They have the Super Falcon, which is the two seat version. The Super Falcon S three, the three seat version. And they have one that looks almost like the, if you've ever followed the Molar Air Car, uh, they have one called the Dragon. Looks like that, or similar. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a pretty cool idea. Um, just I uh, hope before you go down, uh, nope, nobody had any beans. Yes. Well, then the next one up is a simple mount is going through a Kickstarter program for a GoPro dual light system. What they're trying to do is a, a diver had discovered that he didn't have quite the lighting he was hoping for with his GoPro and started looking and thought, you know what, I can do a little bit better. It's got a Kickstarter project for it's a twin mount light. And what he's determined is that he gets better light uh, if he puts it above the camera, but the mounting is on the bottom so that through software they're flipping the image. So you just hold it upside down and fix it in post-process. I, it has four prongs, one for the GoPro, for two for the lights, and one for attaching other mounts. He said he originally made the design using a 3D printer with PLA plastic, but after testing it, he discovered that the salt water was destroying it. So he's had to go to the point of doing uh, injection molding and ABS plastic. He says a lifespan will not be shortened even in extreme salt water conditions. He says the mount is going to on a Kickstarter pledge is starting at $22. The LED system is designed to hold retail for about $55 each. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't sound really too bad of a price. How many lumens are the lights, though? I'm trying to get to the the problem with the the, the article. Oh, he's, so far, unfortunately, he's only got oh, wow. Uh, well, I I just know that that what's important when it comes to lights for a camera is you need to know how wide the beams are. The beams will be, be advertised in degrees because the uh, GoPro has a either 120 or 140 degree lens on it. There, you know, it, it's a true ultra wide angle on a GoPro. So you need to have your light beams match that or more. Otherwise you're going to have a lot of shadow, a lot of area in shadow. Um, you also need to know how intense they are because now, I mean, particularly if you're in poor visibility, uh, you really want to, I mean, light does not travel nearly as well on the water as it does in, does in the air. Um, water absorbs the light a lot. So, um, you know, a beam which looks brilliant, um, you know, if you have a, a 700 lumen beam here in the air, I mean, that's that's almost blinding. That's a, a very, you know, intense beam here in the air. But underwater, that 700 foot beam, uh, even in clear water, is barely going to travel 10 feet. So you really need to know what the lumens are and what the angle are. So I'm not seeing that information here in the ad. So. Yeah, well, I, I went actually to the Go, to not to the GoPro, to the Kickstarter page, and they have canceled the the uh, Kickstarter project. And his comment is, our apologies to all our backers. Unfortunately, prior to our campaign launch, we were given some bad advice by a marketing company. This led us to us realizing the campaign needed to be canceled mm-hmm. until... You have, to, you have to hit more in the page reload. Canceled till such time that we can amend these unforeseen issues and relaunch the campaign at a greater chance of success. We'll stay in touch and give you updates as we know. Uh, he had only had 11 backers for five pounds. He had 5,000 pounds canceled about 17 hours ago. But I'm not seeing when it was created. Yeah, I'm, I'm just seeing an awful lot of flaws of this here. Um, you know, you look at the pictures and you see that uh, you know, scaling further down, he does show some with with some extensions on the lights but the stock picture here showing the lights as being basically screwed directly to the to the arm you don't have a nearly enough wide nearly wide enough array there um when your lights are that close you're going to have so much backscatter backscatter is when your uh your lights light up the particulate in the water in front of your subject and to get away from that you set up a wide array where you have, you know, arms which will set your, you know, your white, your, your, set your lights, you know, three, five, six feet wide sometimes because the, you know, then you angle them in and now you're basically looking around the particulate in the water right in front of you. And by the time the particulate is lit up, it's far enough away that it's not going to, you know, take away from the quality of your image or 
or less anyway. Yeah, yeah the, 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 there are a lot of flaws to the system, I'm afraid, many flaws. Yeah, they were, it's interesting as you go down through the photos, is that they were marketing this not just as an underwater light, but just an all-purpose light. They show them on bicycles, they show it on, uh, you know, people are in their basements, electric detectors. So, uh, then it, then it, if it, if this is a light which is able to be used in the air, then uh, it's not much of a light because your uh, your good quality underwater lights actually depend upon the water the uh, the water you know, cir- circulating around the light to keep it cool. Um, you know, if you if you have a you know, I have a pair of twenty six hundreds, the twenty six hundred lumen uh, wide angle video lights, and if you run those out in the air. They will catch fire. They will get so hot, they will make the batteries inside them explode. Um, bad experience, by the way. Uh, you know, yeah, this, this, this is, there are so many flaws in what I'm seeing in this ad that um, really makes me wonder how legit it is. So, I mean, I don't, the, the, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as, I, I think there's much better lighting systems. I, I think this may have been a problem or a solution looking for a problem. Because there's there's plenty of light mount systems that work, uh-huh. so yeah, uh, there are. Yeah. I'm just I'm just saying that a a an underwater lighting system that actually works is not go, is not going to work in the air. It's, it's not going to if it has enough if it's powerful enough to really give you a good boost underwater, then it's going to make too much heat to be used outside of water. Oh, I I mean I I know what you're saying, but. I mean, we've got. I've I've held flashlights that work outside the water that have been super bright. Um, you know, it just depends on. Usually, if something's designed for underwater, they you take advantage of that water as a heat sink. But if you're going to do it above water, then you have to bump up your heat sink uh, design so that it's able to to uh, keep cool enough so you don't melt them. You know, you, maybe your your lighting can't be as a dense. You maybe separate the LEDs a little bit more. Uh, use uh, larger heat sinks on it, but uh, this is all moot because he's canceled the campaigns. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wonder how, how legitimate was being. I'm sorry, I'm just seeing so many flaws to this here. That I mean, I'm I'm not a photo a photography expert. I, I have some experience you do with under, underwater video and underwater photography, and I can find four holes in five minutes in the system here. Um, I just kind of have to question, you know, his motives for, for putting this together. So I don't know. And then we've got Die Photo Guide is, uh, has a post that Gates has announced a pro-action underwater housing for red and uh, Ari cinema cameras. And this is one of those things that, you know, if I win the lottery, this would be my housing. Not only because it's a, an amazing housing, but because of the camera that would be in the housing. This is a red camera. This is what professional cinematographers use in movies. That's what uh, Jackson did. Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit in was using these uh, red cameras. This housing is probably going to be pretty expensive. Oh Price. yeah, when, when you when you see Gates, uh, it's it's going to cost some serious coin, no doubt about it. Just just seeing the name Gates on it, but certainly cool. Like I said, it's one of those. If I if I win the lottery, then this will be mm-hmm. my housing. What are we seeing for specs? Oh, this this has the specs on it down here at the very bottom. I'm not seeing what it has for what kind of depth it's rated for. Usually these are about the minimum of almost mm-hmm. all your housings. Um, yeah, but even but even I mean it would be worth it even if you're only going to do twenty thirty feet. Well, yeah, I'm sure that this is it's going to have a camera in it. It's going to have wonderful light light sensitivity, um, more settings than you know what to do with. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be uh, yeah, well, very the, very fancy gadget here. Well, and the thing that can be challenging uh, with the red cameras, the red camera is really almost a rail type of system. So if you imagine having this extruded aluminum rail and then you you add modules to your red camera depending on what you're going to do so you can have a short lens a long lens you can have different viewing options attachments sound digitizing memory you know it's all these things have it so that's has to be some of the things that gates had to look at when they designed the housing was what are underwater divers going to want to do with the red camera so that we can make a housing that can contain that because you don't want to have a housing that's just ridiculously big to be able to handle everything. It has to have some uh, compromise and realism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know even the, the housing I have for my Canon there, it's when I look at how awkward is the handle down there compared to my GoPro or the Intova, um, it does make it challenging. Well, cool. Well, that does it for Scuba the News. Excuse me. Scuba the News. 
you you had a wreck that you wanted to talk about, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, um, you know, we don't. I mean, we talk about wrecks, but I don't know. Uh, I don't think we we have listeners from around the country. Some many international. Uh, I kind of want to brag a little bit here because uh, you know here in the Great Lakes, you know, we have somebody to choose from. Uh, you know, we're in the uh, west side of Lake, of, uh, of Michigan, so that puts us right, right alongside of Lake Michigan. And, you know, we have, you know, hundreds of wrecks out there, which we know about. And, of course, there are, you know, potentially thousands more, which we don't know. Uh, depends on what you consider to be a, be a shipwreck. But I want to talk about the Ann Mitch. Uh, let me see if I can put the link there in the chat room here. Uh, I had too many windows going here. I just looked, looked like I may have misplaced that link. <laughs> oh, give me just a moment to get caught up here. Um, the Ann Mitch went down in the storm of... Uh, the Armistice Day storm of 1940. Uh, there were a number of storms, a number of ships that went down in that one. Um, it was a 400-foot steamship here. Let me pull the... Forgive me here. I'm moving a little bit slow here. Here we go. Okay, I have the article in front of me now. Okay. Uh, basically, I'm pulling this information off of uh, Michigan Shipwreck Research Association's uh, website. They have an article here on the Ann Minch. I'm going to paste that into the chat room here in just a moment. So scuba tech and you can take a look at this here. Okay. Got that here. Forgive me, I'm wasn't quite prepared for this to pop up here. <laughs> so there we go. Should be there now. Okay, great. This is a very easy access wreck. Um it, 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 it's a real tragedy though. Uh you know the ship went down in thirty five feet of water, uh a mile and a half from the pier head in Pantwater. Um these guys were trying to make it into the pier. Uh, clearly, they missed the channel, um, and the ship was then destroyed in relatively shallow water, 35 feet of water. Um, it was, you know, the storm was so intense that it actually tore the ship into two pieces. There are uh, two sections of the boat now, approximately a mile apart. Um, if you take a look at the website, you know, you can, you know, MSRA's website shows uh, pictures of the ship before. The accident, of course, and then then afterwards. Um, I will say that the visibility is not the best in this area. Being so shallow, you have an awful lot of surf and wash that it's never, you know, a stellar visibility dive. But then it's only 35 feet deep, and you see a ship here that it's very identifiable yet. I mean, granted, it's been mashed and pounded by the ice and the waves since 1940, but you get down there, and you can still, you know, recognize, you know, anchor chains and the shape of the bow. Um, truthfully, I have not dove the stern section yet. It's on my list of things to do yet. But it really looks like, you know, a ship that's been kind of a victim of a great big sledgehammer just kind of pounded in, into the into the bottom there. A uh, lot of fish, lots of sea there, and it's only a mile and a half offshore. Um, Unfortunately, I don't believe there are any any uh, charters in that area. Um, it's kind of astounding just you know how, how many cool shipwrecks we have, yet not an awful lot of dive operators around. Uh, so you have to you have to bring your own boat out there. But again, it's only a mile and a half from the pierhead, and you get to see a wreck the, qual- the quality of you'd have to go you know twenty thirty miles offshore to see in salt water, and there it is. So yeah, I'm looking at some of the photos. And it is a pretty substantial wreck. Oh, it's massive. I mean, I think it was 400 feet long, wasn't it? It was a huge boat. It was uh, 380 feet long, 50 wide. Capacity was 2,880 tons. Yeah, this is a huge boat. And the wreckage is spread over a large area. The vessel is in two pieces. There are alternate reports as to her location. Um, I can tell you for certain the uh, numbers for the bow are good. Been there and... uh, you know, drop right on it, no problems right there. Um, it, it was a tragedy, though. Keep in mind that, uh, you know, when you're here, this you're you're visiting a graveyard. Um, all 24 members of the crew were lost. Um, this blows your mind. They could all be lost only 1.5 miles south of Pentwater. Um, but the Armistice Day storm, Armistice Day is what we now call Veterans Day. Um, most disastrous day in the history of Lake Michigan shipping was Armistice Day, Storm, Armistice Day now Veterans Day, November 11, 1940. With 75 mile per hour winds and 20 foot waves, a raging storm destroyed three ships and claimed the lives of 59 seamen. 
two freighters sank and all hands lost, and a third of the Nova Dock ran aground with the loss of two crew members. Bodies washed ashore throughout the day. This night fell, a heavy storm arrived. Rescue efforts by the Coast Guard and local citizens continued for three days of the storm. Three Pentwater fishermen were later recognized by the local community and the Canadian government for the bravery rescuing 17 sailors from the Nova Dock. Uh, I will say, it, I, it, it mentions three ships. That was just three ships lost in this area for that storm. There were ships lost all over the Great Lakes for that storm. Um, but I would encourage our listeners to uh, take a look at the link we have posted there in the chat. Um, if you're listening to this afterwards, uh, you know, as a, as a recording, uh michiganshipwrecks.org and if you look at the uh, the known shipwrecks section and click on Anna Minch, you're going to get all this information there to, to read for yourself. Um, great story. Great shipwreck. Yeah, it, it's, not, it's not intact. It is pretty well pretty well mashed. But when you're on it, you can identify it. Um, I know when you go over with, with a uh, side scan sonar, you look down at it and you can, it really makes a lot of sense seeing it on a, on a side scan sonar. So, a very cool wreck to see. Yeah, and Very, I'm, I'm I'm looking at it, and I haven't been up the Pentwater. I haven't gone that uh, that direction for diving, but it's not a ridiculous distance away. It's two and a half hours from down here in Southwest to get up there. Yeah, I've talked to uh, different guys in the club about uh, you know about doing a day trip up to see this, but uh, it just tends to be a bit more of a ride than most people want to do. But the thing is, it's it's right offshore, and you can actually do a do a a, a, a three dive quite easily because um, the Nova Dock is about five miles from here and you can uh, um, you know, dive the Anmich bow for a dive, dive the Anmich stern for a dive, and dive the Nova Dock. Um, probably the way to do it would be uh, you know, bow, Nova Dock, then stern, or reverse order. That way you'd have a good surface interval, um, although I don't know, you probably aren't going to need an awful surface interval on doing a, a 35-foot dive. Um, but there's a lot to see down there. A tremendous lot to see. I, I have not done the stern yet myself. Um, I've done the bow, I believe, twice. Um, a lot of fish. The visibility when I was there both times was probably only about 15 feet. Um, you know, not, not, the, not the best visibility, but still, very cool dive. Very cool dive. Yeah, and the Nova Dock was a pretty decent-sized ship, too. That one's 253 feet long. Yeah, and, and the Nova, I mean, both of these are, are beginner-level beginner dives. Um, but don't let that, you know, dissuade you. I mean, uh, it's, there's a lot to see here. You know, um, the Nova Dock, in contrast to the Minch, generally has some great visibility. Um, Nova Dock is six miles south of the pierhead. Uh, it's only in 15 feet of water, but to, I think the Nova Dock, this, the Nova Dock is one you can see from Google Earth too, because it, it's so shallow. But the visibility of the Nova Dock is, is, is magnificent. I mean, it's not uncommon. They have 30, 40 foot vis, well, 30 foot vis anyway, and only 15 feet of water. And uh, the Nova Dock has possibly the most photographed bow of any shipwreck in the Great Lakes. It's a very, very well known bow. Um, I guess we could post a link to that as well yeah. in the chat. I'm looking at the photos now, and that the, they're all super clear. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, the, the photos and, were from, a, they said, a sunny day in 2009. Yeah, I think most of the photos aren't aren't those Valerie Van Heest's photos. I think I, most of them are cool. I I know she took some of them and see if they took if she took them or if she's uh, either way. It's it's almost like a photographer taking a picture. Of a photographer, the diver in the images is holding a a camera. So w- I wouldn't be surprised if it was her and Jack who. Yeah, I know that the uh, Nova Doc is, is such a uh, a prime dive that uh, you know. Valerie and Jack t- took their kids up there recently and introduced them to wreck diving in the Nova Dock. I mean, it, 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 it's a very cool dive, very yeah. cool dive. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah th- and this is one that's a good education for me because I hadn't really been looking. We, t- we tend to either stay down where we're at, and once you hit Grand Haven, then the next jump t- tends to be, you know, you're talking about Traverse City or uh, Sheboygan or, you know, the big preserve up there, Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, these, like I said, these are it's 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 a pretty good drive for us. I mean, uh, it maybe be a drive for more, more for some of our listeners. Um, and it, it's really a shame that I don't believe there is a charter operator in that area. Um, so you know, if, if you're going to see these, you're going to have to make some kind of arrangements with, with the boat. Um, I know when I went out there, I took a 17 foot aluminum bass boat out there. Is what I took a couple of years out there, and it, it worked very well. 
Um, but, uh, you know, of course, you got to watch weather conditions and things. Um, the Nova Dock used to be a shore dive, but I've heard that some of the property on the shoreline has changed hands recently and is no longer a shore dive. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not giving instructions at this point to do a shore dive for the Nova Dock. Um, I do know that I think the first time I dove it, uh, we were out there on the wreck, and um, you're actually right off the shoreline from the Silver Lake, um, the Silver Lake Dunes popular place to take four-wheel drives and quads up in the, up in the dunes and play in the sand and there's a big campground over there and we're out there on the wreck and pretty soon we have a couple of kids of uh, teenagers in a canoe and they came out to see what we were doing and you know, what are you scuba divers out here for right to the shipwreck what shipwreck look down oh that <laughs> shipwreck yeah that shipwreck and um no take no take take a look at google on google earth I'd imagine if you uh, you know find Pentwater and you just scroll down, uh, you know, probably you know six miles to the south, you're going to come right into it. Or or better yet, put the numbers in the um, the numbers here on MSRA's page for the Nova Dock are good. That's what got me there years ago. Um, just say I know uh, Valerie was up there last year. I sure she double checked the numbers. <laughs> so all good numbers here. I I use. Uh, MSRA's page quite a bit for, for my own dives. Well, cool. Well, thank you. So there it is, the shipwreck of the week. And you even got a twofer out of this one. Yeah. Yeah. When they when they get that close. Yeah. Well, they they're they're about five miles apart. But if you're going to go up there, you might as well do them both. They're you know they're makes sense. I know that that's been a common thing of when I would do my up north trips is just uh, you know I would come to Pentwater, coming down the coast on the way home, and just stop, stop and make a day trip out of there. So, uh, well worth it. Highly recommended. Well, let's go ahead and talk about scuba dive. I understand that we had many divers in the water this last week. Uh, we are getting to that time of the year where the leaves are falling. So, if you're getting in the river and we haven't had a uh, rain or strong current, uh, bottles aren't as easily visible. They're still findable. People are still pulling them out of the water, but we're starting to get a little bit of uh, leaf cover, and that will just continue like I said, unless we get a, a storm to clear them out. Um, so there have been, been divers in the river down there in Niles. Uh, what kind of diving have you been getting in recently? Well, I've kind of had a slow week here. I only got in one dive. Um, I took a few friends out to uh, Gull Lake, Kalamazoo area, um, showed them the uh, steamboat out there. There's a uh, 25-foot steamboat. I believe it's a steamboat. I can't be 100% certain. The uh, boat is turtled up. It's, it's upside down. Um, it has the mark, the, the you know, the markings that it probably is a steamboat, but you can't really tell for sure when you can't get in there. Um, but uh, I don't know. It was kind of a, you know, kind of a, a, a comedic dive. We had we had a few problems. No one got hurt. It was kind of the things we had good laughs about afterwards. Um, how about you, Darren? No, I did. Uh, I I did not get a chance to get in the water. My my last dive has still been the ecology dive. I've had some. My wife had so that's kind of got us tied up this week. She's doing fine recovering. We did have a mug club meeting this week, so nice to have some people bring some show and tell. And if you remember an episode or so before, maybe it was last episode. They they kind of all blur together. But Mary Beth had found a pocket watch in yeah. the river. <laughs> And uh, uh, the the photo of it, and I remember making a comment. I was listening to the podcast, and I said, wow, that's kind of an unusual uh, copyright on the bottom. It said, uh, protected by Sam and Dean. And uh, Mary Beth had done a search in Google, and she just typed in protected by uh, Sam and Dean, and it's actually a TV program that's on. So it's imagine it sounded like a ghost hunter type of program, and it was these individuals who are trying to protect people from evil spirits yeah isn't that supernaturals so. yeah i i don't know i've it was uh, none of it made any sense to me i hadn't heard of or watched the program but that's what it was so it's a the program's been on the air about 12 years still currently being produced so that puts it the uh, watch in the last 12 years i'm going to say it's probably that watch had only been in the water a couple years uh, well yeah the the no, it wasn't even fully, fully flooded, was it? I mean, I was kind of surprised to see that uh, the, you know, it, it was dry inside. Yeah, so it uh, was dry inside, but it had some corrosion, so it really wasn't a super high quality. Uh, Mary Beth had realized it wasn't going to be anything real old because it had quartz as the mm-hmm. movement, 
which kind of gives you an indication of fairly modern. Uh, right. But there was some, yeah, you know, it, it's some brass, uh, not brass, uh, zinc over tin or some sort of alloy, and you could see where parts of it was starting to corrode and come off. But uh, it, if you looked at it from a distance, you would think that was an exciting find. Well, I'm, yeah, she said that when she saw it in the water, her heart just kind of raced. She thought she had a real find there and um, until she got it out of the water and looked at it. and um, Quite disappointing there, but... Well, hey, there, there might be a real pocket watch. I'm sure there is a real pocket watch somewhere in that river. It doesn't matter who's going to find it first. Oh, yeah, there's there's all sorts of That's why you keep looking. Yeah, yeah I, I have a handful of these fake gold coins that I picked up. I've thought about tossing out there just to get the the, the divers kind of racing <laughs> after them. <laughs> uh, we call it seeding, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, trinkets out of the, out of the zoo here. Well, we, we've <laughs> talked about... Uh, you know, I've always thought about when I first started the podcast was actually minting coins and then seeding, you know, like the, not actually on a wreck, but maybe down a, a, a buoy line or an anchor line. Something that, you know, maybe you'd find and you wouldn't be too upset if you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even thought about golf balls. You know, have some golf balls custom printed. Okay. Because you could just do an imprint on them. Because uh, we always say that if uh, you don't find a golf ball, it's not an official dive. Right. I know, I know you say that. Kirk says that. That's, um, but yeah, it, I, it does I'll seem to be true. <laughs> I'm trying to think of uh, there's more often than not. I would say greater than fifty percent of my dives we found a golf ball. Well, you know we don't find an awful lot of golf balls in Gull Lake, though. You know you, you, you find an awful lot of them out Lake Michigan there, but you know on your inland bodies of water, not so much because the bottom is soft enough it tends to swallow them up. Yeah. Uh, there, there may be yeah. golf balls out there, but uh, you know you're sure not going to find any golf balls. I can tell you out in, out in Pawpaw Lake. That, well, that, you know, I, I have I have found them in Pawpaw Lake, but it's more just out of luck. You know, we're 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 grubbing and you run into them, up. so they are there. But you're you're right, the inland lakes that are tend to be deeper muck. Uh, mm-hmm. But there, I, there's something about Lake Michigan, the the golf balls. You know, we have a no, number of golf courses that are on Lake Michigan. People, you know, there always seems to be some hole that swallows up golf balls on the Lake Michigan, and you know, maybe that's something that people do who live on the lake. You know, they buy a bunch of golf balls and just drive them into the water. I know in the you know, movies. Yeah, maybe they're coming off boats out there, but, you know, with, with the golf courses in St. Joe, I imagine an awful lot of them are coming down the river. I know that uh, last spring um, Bob and Dan did a boat dive on the pier, and they showed the picture of the golf balls they found, which literally covered the boat, the bottom of Bob's boat. Oh, I think yeah. they tallied them up and had like close to 200 golf balls they found. Oh yeah, so. anytime I've dove the pier, uh you just you just run out of space to carry the golf balls. Mm-hmm. And some of them are brand new and there are others that have been down there for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. But, but we 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 find them miles offshore. We find them up there in the Havana. Yeah. Havana is 6 miles from the pierhead. But uh yeah, Kirk always comes out of the, out of the Havana with a, a handful of golf balls, which yeah. are they're, they're, this, it's not shipwrecked material, so you can take them there, you know. Yeah. So. Have you ever been diving in Lake Michigan where the current has been harder out there than it is in the river? On the surface, yes. Oh. Uh, down below, no. But yeah, we, we've had some some terrible current on the surface sometimes. I I dove Max Wreck once. I, I can't remember which episode it, we talked about it, but the viz was two inches, and it was like a hurricane down there. I went down with a diver as his first time on, and we came down the anchor line, and we were on the bow, and you've got the the was it the port side of the vessel, and I lost. I got lost going between the posts, which in some spots are connected by a board and they're only two or three feet apart. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was drifting. The sand behind the post was drifting like snow in a blizzard. Wow. That's how strong the current was. And the current, you could, you had a hard time swimming against it. And this is in Lake Michigan. So when, after see, be experiencing that, I can understand how golf balls end up at the wrecks. Because if there's a golf ball anywhere in the bottom, but it's just a you know rippled beach sand, uh, fairly level, unless there's something to disturb it, and uh, golf balls in that current would have just been moved, would have been moving across the bottom. Yeah, well, I can see that, you know, and we find them in the river, we find them everywhere, but not not an awful lot of Indian lakes, you know. Um, no, not not I, tons. I think we may have found them off of Ross, over over in Gull Lake. 
but there's a lot of the, you know, there's a beach there and kids play with toys and things. You find all, yeah. you find all kinds of things out there at Ross. So, oh, I, I, I did, I did find a boat out to uh, Gull Lake today. Did I tell you that? Uh, you were mentioning that you did a dive out there, but I, I don't remember if you said there was a boat. Well, no, I t- uh, today we found a boat out there. So. Oh, you were on a boat. Yes. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't dive it. Um, I was out to, out to Gull Lake today. We weren't running the, the uh, side scan. Um, there are a number of, there, there should be a number of large steamboats in Gull Lake, and I go out there from time to time and look for them. And uh, I got some information from a gentleman at a local sporting goods shop um, who, who lives out there. He told me some spots he's seen some rather curious things on his graph or areas which he knows hold fish, but there's no weeds there, so you can't understand why why there's fish there, which to us means, hey, shipwreck there. And I went out and investigated uh, two of the areas very thoroughly, kind of running out of daylight to investigate the third one that that, that well. Um, did find uh, on the scanner, I'm sure it was a large canoe. Um, it had to have been, I'm sure it was well over 20 foot long. Um, I made a number of passes at it, you know, did different images of it. And at one point, I counted five seats in it on the scanner. Um, it's, a, it's a big canoe. I know... Uh, friend of mine, Deb, sent me uh, a DVD about the history of Gull Lake, and it showed, uh, oh, uh, I'm not sure if they were Boy Scouts or some kind of camping organization, but they were, one of the clips showed uh, an organized camping group that would go around Gull Lake in these huge uh, Indian war canoes. You know, they have the, the real high prow, and they'd seat like 20 people in these things, and, you know, they they were a massive canoe. And I'm pretty sure it's one of those. And actually, it was not far from the property that those camps used to own, because they used to own the Bible camp and the island both. And it's right off the Bible camp. Okay. And, you know, I, I didn't dive it because I wasn't, I'm, I'm looking for steamboats, and once I determined that there was no engine on it, which you could see by the scan, it's in... Um, 45 feet of water. You can see by the scan there was no clearly no, no engine on it. I, um, you know, took some good pictures of it, got the numbers of it, and, and went on my way. I was really trying to find these steamboats out there. but the, And there actually were a number of small boats in that area. But the coolest thing by far was it has to be a 20 to 25-foot-long canoe, and big canoe. So Well, cool. Well, it's good to get out there, and you got to look to find. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see people who are looking for these shipwrecks. Let's see. All right. We're starting to get to that to the show once again. Thank you, everybody who was in the chat room. Scuba Tech, uh, uh, Kevin is Rec Hunter, and Flyboy Ned, Big John, are all in the chat room tonight. Uh, we test out a new chat room today. Uh, still uh, just validating it. We're going to be doing some changing with how we stream some content and recording live and maybe doing some experience, uh, light, light video. I don't think for our weekly podcast there's a lot of excitement in video, but some, that seems to be the direction some of the streaming's going, so end up doing a little bit of that. Uh, if you think this show is at least worth a dollar, why not uh, donate to our Patreon account? You can donate to Patreon. Go to www.scoobobsessed.com and follow the links. Every little bit helps, and we are slowly upgrading some of the assets and parts of the website. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scoobobsessed. At Twitter at Scoob Obsessed. I have anything you want to plug, Kevin? Yes. Um, well, I want to remind our, our listeners to uh, make sure that you use your local libraries, uh, you know, and thank them for being there for us. Uh, great source of uh, research. I was down at the library today. That's why I got inspired to go out and do some side scanning. So, Thanks. also uh, try to use your local dive shops. I know everyone likes to get the bargain online, but those bargains online aren't going to fill your scuba tanks for you. They certainly won't. We would like to thank Vanessa Homiak and Scott Halbert for donating to this week's show through Patreon, through listeners like you that keep us on the air. And I think we are to that time of the show. And this is one where uh, we're going to call this one an import. You can play Rod, Rod Ford again. Uh, I did <laughs> take a little, little liberties in, in tweaking it. Some of these are so bad I even get a little bit nervous about, about doing them. We'll see how this goes. Two guys are in a supermarket where their trolleys collide. Bob says, I'm sorry, I was looking for my wife. What a coincidence, so am I. I'm getting a little desperate, says Joe. Well, maybe I can help you. What does your wife look like, asks Bob. Joe replies, well, she's tall. She has long hair, long legs, firm breasts, magnificent backside. She has a dive flag tattoo on her wrist. What does your wife look like? 
Never mind, says Bob. Let's go look for yours. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good joke, Darren. Good joke. <laughs> I figured you were due eventually. Eventually, one will come. Come around. Yes. So on that note, until next time, go out there and get wet. Stay safe. Recording has been completed.